People who really want to have a good time won't come to a slaughterhouse. And we've got entirely too many troublemakers here. Too many uh, 40-year-old adolescents, felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. It's going to change. And that sure sounds good. But a lot of the guys who come in here, we can't handle one-on-one. Even two-on-one. Don't worry about it. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Ask him to walk. Be nice. If you won't walk, walk him, but be nice. If you can't walk him, one of the others will help you, and you'll both be nice. Rob, I have a general rule on Mondays that I try not to drink alcohol at the beginning of the work week. We can't possibly not drink tonight, right? (laughs) Dennis, the last time I didn't drink on any night, I think I had COVID for the second time. And it's because I, I couldn't make it downstairs. That's all. Did you drink during COVID number one, the first round? You did. Yeah. Right, yeah. right away, or did you wait a few days? No, immediately. Because I was trying, I was in denial that I had COVID. I woke up with a headache and I was like, man, that's a weird headache. I was in a house with my in laws who are elderly. Okay. Uh, my brother in law and his three children and wife, my wife, my two kids, two, perhaps three dogs. And so I was trying to keep it quiet. Sure. This was Christmas. So I spent Christmas in a room in Birmingham by myself, and yes, there was alcohol involved. We were chatting before we jumped on, and I'm going to do a proper intro for you in a second because you you deserve it. Uh, you said something about you're wearing that polo shirt tonight on purpose, so yeah. do tell. In the movie Roadhouse, the bad guys, <laughs> with the exception of Tinker, they look like accountants. <laughs> they do, right? <laughs> They're wearing polos and khakis. And I'm wearing a polo and khakis. I love it. And that's one thing that I hoped we'd we'd touch on today is why in the 80s, in the Midwest, the the bad guys look like accountants. They did. And even Brad Wesley, who we're going to talk about him at length later, but he even dressed like, I think he probably had some khakis and some weird shirts. And I know it's the 80s, but still didn't really dress like the, uh, the typical villain that you would expect. No. 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 All right. We're going to get into that. Once we get into uh, Brad Wesley, because I have a whole section on him. So, Rob, there was a quote you once said to me. (laughs) This was literally, I think, I mean, I've known you now for, we'll establish that in a second, but I I guess I've known you since 2010. Yeah. And uh, so a good chunk of time. And I honestly think this is the greatest thing you've ever said to me. And you and I have traveled. We've been together. We've gone on some trips together. We've been to Europe. We've been to Europe together. And I actually think you said this. I want to say that this was said to me from you on day one of Oktoberfest in Munich. And I don't remember the year that we did that. I would say that was probably like 2015, 2014, somewhere around there. 
Yeah, yeah. This is what you said to me. I'm not even sure if you remember this. Let's get drunk and get into a fight. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's like the greatest thing ever. We got half of it right. We definitely got drunk. <laughs> I didn't fight anybody. But I still to this day just remember that. And like that was like the greatest thing ever. So I think you are the perfect guest to talk about Roadhouse because, you know, let's get drunk and get into a fight. That's like the, the essence of this movie. Rob Bone, I met you in Atlanta, Georgia, 2010. And I actually met you through your wife. She gets full credit for this because my ex and I ran into her, Jessica, at a dog run while you were probably out working because that's all you ever did back then. And she was with Dixie, your boxer dog. And we were with Carter, our boxer dog. And they ended up running into each other at the dog park. We struck a conversation with Jessica. We hit it off with her. Next thing you know, we're doing couples dinners and all that sort of stuff. And then I found out you were a Giants fan, which was a little bit of a concern, but also a Yankees fan. A bigger concern these days. Oh, don't get me started on, on the Yankees this year. This is a, a, an abomination. They were just in Atlanta. Um, didn't go to any of the games. But I will correct you, Dennis. Jess and your ex were actually at Boxer Bash in Atlanta. And that's where they met. And then we both they both said, oh, we just moved to Atlanta. Carter was there. Dixie was there. They became boyfriend-girlfriend immediately. And then we met up at the at the dog run by your old apartment, and and the rest is history. So they met first, and then we got brought in. That sounds that sounds like that computes. I think you might be right on that. <laughs> Rob Bone, welcome to the podcast. Um, you've been well. I guess introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're calling in from? What you do for a living? And then we're going to talk a little bit more about why you're here tonight. Dennis and I have known each other since 2010, which is a while ago. Both moved to Atlanta. Dennis, you were with Turner. Mm -hmm. I took a job at a bank down here. I'm in investment banking, which is why I have no hair on my head. <laughs> and it's why this bourbon is only one third full. Yep. This is a very new bottle, by the way. Very new. Like, like how long? Like a couple of days ago? Yeah. I think I got it Saturday. Got it. Solid. <laughs> nice. But I have been a long time listener and fan of the podcast. A little bit offended. This is my first time on. A little bit. Because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. But I couldn't be more excited to talk about Roadhouse, which is one of my favorite movies. If it's on TV, it stays on my TV. And so uh, I've taken a lot of notes. I'm ready to go. And I couldn't be happier to be here. When I start the year off, I kind of map out, not every single month, but I definitely have a handful of movies that I know that I want to kind of plot out throughout the year. And I will tell you that Roadhouse made my list when I was working on this in January. No shit. I'm serious. Yeah. I had Roadhouse on my list. And I don't know why I did. I, I just felt like it would be a good movie to talk about. I like a good, bad movie, as you know. And then you reached out to me because here's what Rob does, everybody. Rob texts me. He is a loyal listener. Rob, I, I appreciate your support. You are definitely on the short list of, of loyal listeners. And you always text me like unsolicited feedback on the episode <laughs> that you just listened to. And I love it. I love it. And like Nick Malone does it. My brother does it. You know, Jason does it. A couple of guys do it. And like you send me stuff like this is what you missed or this is what I would have said. And I love it. And then you're always like, when are you going to do trading places? I need to have trading places. Please make me a promise that it's going to be trading places. But I remember it was like one day in like, I want to say it was like winter you texted me and you're like, we need to do Roadhouse. And I wrote you back yeah. and I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Rob, I actually have that on my list. And I don't even know at the time if you believed me, but I did have it on the list. And at that moment in time, I promised you Roadhouse. So here we are. 
Roadhouse. Why Roadhouse, Rob? You just said it's your favorite movie. Why was that the one you wanted to do? Roadhouse belongs to a genre of movie that doesn't exist anymore, which is pure entertainment. Movies today have to have a message. They have to play well in China. <laughs> uh, they're talking about the international box office gross or whatever the, you know, you, you, uh, entertainment folks talk about. Yep. This movie is pure entertainment. It makes no sense. It's nonsense. <laughs> and it is absolutely fantastic. It really is. It's got, it's got gratuitous violence. It's got gratuitous nudity. There, there's no sense to it. <laughs> it takes place in middle America. I'm in. I'm in for it forever. Yeah. Today's movies, they have to do the uh, the four quadrants, as they like to call it in my business. They have to have the different demographics that um, yeah. if you plot it out, a movie needs to check all four of those quadrants. And um, Roadhouse, I don't know what quadrants Roadhouse checks, but it ain't all four of them. I'll tell you that. Well, we got we got gratuitous nudity and gratuitous violence. That's two. You got alcohol. I'd put that in there. Alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Except when they tried to um, limit um, uh, Dalton from getting getting the booze, which was a, a plot point. That was a, a real dick move on Brad Wesley's part. I mean, that's <laughs> that's not that not pucka, as we used to say when I lived in England. I did an episode a couple of months ago with, with a couple of the guys, and, and we talked about good, bad movies. And, and I think it was Jason that actually referenced Roadhouse. And once he did, he I was, was kind of like, look, hold that. I, I don't. I don't want to get into that here because I know you and I were going to do this and we're going to do this proper. What is it about everything that you just outlined about Roadhouse? I completely agree with it's It's very stupid, enormously entertaining. I'll watch it every single time I come across it. The remote goes down. I would even watch it again tonight. If I'm channel surfing after we wrap tonight, I'll probably watch it if I found it. Why is that? What is it about the, you know, what I would call like the mediocrity of a movie like this? And, even, and this movie is slightly above that, in my opinion, but... What is it about that that we find like so entertaining and so addictive? Well, I'll tell you this, Dennis. Um, people love a nice fight, right? <laughs> Even till this day, like you look at John Wick 4 or, or one of these other action movies. John Wick, it's all about the gunfire. But he, when it comes down to it, he's always doing jujitsu on these guys. They're always He's grabbing the wrist, fl- flinging them over his shoulder, punching them in the face. Then he, you know, shoots them. Yep. People love a good fist fight, and there's no shortage of good fist fights in Roadhouse. You top that off with a nonsensical plot. By the way, Patrick Swayze, unmistakable charisma. Sure. Sam Elliott, all-time great. All-timer. Just fantastic. And then you pile on the, the fact that the bad guys wear polo shirts, which is why I'm wearing a polo shirt. You've got the Double Deuce t-shirt. Yep. I'm wearing a polo shirt. To celebrate the fact that somebody said these bad guys, these goons are dressed like accountants. Can you imagine being the studio executive? And I think this movie was put out by United Artists or something. And uh, you're sitting there in 88 and some guy comes into your room, right? Some, some writer. <laughs> and he's like, bar bouncer, you know, returns to the small town and cleans up this corrupt bar. You know, madness ensues, falls in love with the local doctor. That's it, right? I mean, well, like, why wouldn't you buy that in the room? That's an immediate green light. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because in the 80s, you could get away with that stuff. When you guys were talking in your podcast about good, bad movies, how many of them were in the 80s? All of them? All of mine were. Absolutely. All of them. It was a very special decade. I don't know if we'll ever see that kind of level of entertainment again. Yeah, and that producer in question that I that I was talking about is actually Joel Silver, who produced this movie, and he produced many of those films, which we're going to get into in a second. Second round is the film itself, Roadhouse, directed by Rowdy 
Harrington. Awesome. That's the name of the director of this movie, Rowdy. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I didn't think to name my son Rowdy. What's wrong with you? Rowdy Bone. <laughs> Rowdy Harrington. Not much about this guy that I know. He directed Repo Man with Emilio Estevez, which came out like several years before this film. And then I know he directed um, this low-grade Bruce Willis movie. Remember the one where Bruce Willis played like a river cop or something like that in like Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. I've been to Pittsburgh. Not a lot happening. Not a lot happening. And that was Striking Distance. Came out a couple of years after this movie. I think those are like the big three that he did. I'm sure the guy did other things, but certainly not a guy that went on to do a lot. Released on May 19th. 1989. This was actually playing at the movie theater that I that I was working at at the time that I talked about in a recent episode. Uh, that movie played there, which was really strange because that's not the kind of movie that we ever got at that theater. That always went downtown and played at the action movie theater. But we ended up getting it. And as an usher, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it in the back of the theater. Budget, $17 million, not a Not a big budget movie. Grossed $6 million opening weekend. Did $30 million in the U.S. and Canada. This was not a big hit. This was not a commercial success. And, and ironically, that was a really popular summer of 1989. That movie, I think even like a week later, you're looking at the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade opening. You're looking at Batman came out that summer, Dead Poets, Lethal Weapon 2, The Abyss. I could keep going, Rob. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams came out that spring. This was not a movie that you know got on the radar in 1989. But as you and I have obviously already established, developed a very quick cult following both on home video and certainly cable. This movie has aged quite well. I couldn't agree more. Um, I actually looked up movies from 1989 to you know, explain why it didn't gross more. And I also found out that it grossed thir- $31 million overseas. Okay. So, you know, it did okay. So here are some other uh, movies that came out. You mentioned there was Dead Poets Society, which my wife, Jessica, uh, to this day, it, it's one of her favorite movies. But also Field of Dreams, Parenthood, When Harry Met Sally, The Abyss, Weekend at Bernie's. That's right. <laughs> Uncle Buck and Major League all came out in 89. Come on. Let's face it. Like 1989. What an amazing year for films. Glory came out at the end of that year. Born on the 4th of July. Glory came out. Yep. One of my all-time favorites. And like they don't make that today. They just don't. No. They just don't. And I'm grateful that I'm of that generation that as an older man now that you and I can sit back and look back at 1989 and remember a lot about it. Dennis, I, I want to say something. I know we we're going to talk about, you mentioned earlier, uh, what kind of man does not like Roadhouse, <laughs> right? So I went did, and did a uh, unscientific survey of my, my little worker bees that work for me. Okay. Of the four guys in the bullpen, when I went to go see them, one of them had heard of it. Man. The other three had never seen it, didn't know what I was talking about. Wow. And these are guys, you know, age 29 and down. And I figured this out. This is just a sea change in entertainment. It's because you and I have seen Roadhouse on TBS 400 times a piece. Sure. These guys stream. They watch TV on the internet. There is no TBS. That's right. If it's on Netflix, Prime, whatever, uh, that's where they get their entertainment. So they were not exposed to it like we were. And you and I were of that generation. So, you know, on any given night, if you're channel surfing, you're going to come across Roadhouse. They're going to repeat it over and over again. Sometimes they play it like three times a day on a Saturday. Yep. You can come into this movie at any time and not really feel left out because it's Roadhouse. There's not much of a story. This guy beats up that guy. (laughs) This guy beats up another guy. Kelly Lynch comes in. Yeah. 
and uh, and we move on. So Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film, I was actually pretty surprised when I went back and looked this up. He gave it two and a half stars. That's not bad for this movie. He says, Roadhouse exists right on the edge between the good, bad movie, as we just established, and the merely bad. He's like, I hesitate to recommend it because so much depends on the ironic vision of the viewer. This is not a good movie. <laughs> But viewed in the right frame of mind, it's not a boring one either. That's actually pretty well said. For entertainment value, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Do you remember when you first saw it? Were you like, did you see it in the theater or did you see it like on cable for the first time? Because you're a little bit younger than me. So that wouldn't surprise me if you did. Well, Dennis, I hate to say it. I'm a lot younger than you. And no, I did not see it in the theater. I was in fourth grade. <laughs> and you weren't allowed to see Roadhouse? Come on. No. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that was as risky as it got that year. I put a lot of thought into this. And I think... <laughs> sure. Of course you did. <laughs> I remember seeing this on TV, mid-90s. Okay? That's when it started getting rotation. But then I removed to England in 1996, and I specifically recall it being on Sky TV over in England. Sure. In my late teens. And just like now, if it was on, I was watching it. I was watching it. Joel Silver... This is this is what this guy produced before this movie came out. He produced Commando, oh, Lethal Weapon, yes, Action Jackson, which I'm particularly oh. a fan of. Carl Weathers, Predator, and Die Hard, all before Roadhouse. Rob, the man knows what he when he's got gold, right? He knows. I mean, even in that own, that summer, he actually had Lethal Weapon two coming out like two months after this movie. What a what a summer yes. for Joel Silver. Roadhouse, Lethal Weapon two. Sir, you have my respect. I, I mean, honestly, look, how can you argue with that lineup? And I'm I'm calling Commando and Predator on this podcast. Listen, I- <laughs> both movies, by the way, had repeat viewings on cable TV. Are you suggesting that we do a Commando slash Predator pod? Is that what you're saying? I would not say no to that. And I'll, a fun fact, you know my wife, Jessica. Your listeners probably don't. I'm a big fan of your wife. She's lovely. Jessica likes The Sound of Music and The Wizard of Oz. The Fugitive, and that's it. She loves Commando. <laughs> that's fantastic. Totally out of left field. She loves Commando, and I think she loves Commando for a lot. The reason you and I and a lot of people like Roadhouse, there is a ton of quotable quotes, yep. charismatic characters, perhaps not compelling Oscar-worthy characters. But I might argue with that because I, I got told by somebody, maybe it was you, that the Oscar needs to go to the actor. Like nobody could ever play that same character better than the actor. That makes sense. It. Sure. Nobody could play Dalton better than Swayze. <laughs> that is a fact, right? Yep. And Sam Elliott, he should win an award every year. Sam Elliott should get like a lifetime achievement award for the work he does in this film. We're going to, we're going to talk about Wade Garrett in, in a little bit. A couple of things I want to unpack there. One is Jess is going to be very pleased about the next episode is The Fugitive. I'm doing that with big brother Jim Kamlick. In a few weeks, we're doing The Fugitive because it's the 30th anniversary. Dennis? Yes. She needs to be a, a co-host. Sorry. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> I got to clear that with my brother. I, I, he knows Jess. Yeah, they're Facebook friends. Secondly, the, the two character names in Commando and Predator by Schwarzenegger, he plays John Matrix in Commando, and he plays Dutch in Predator. I don't even know if Dutch has a last name, does he? I don't even think he does. Dutch does not, but also 
Matrix and Dutch, both great dog names. Both great dog names. Just like Rowdy. Yep. Rowdy Harrington. When I went back and watched Roadhouse again, the one thing that stood out to me, like more than I recall, is that the Jeff Healy band. Yep. They actually like... I would, I wrote this on my notes. They like own this movie. Like they, they give this movie a kick in the ass that like, if they didn't do the, if the, if the producers didn't feature him as a character, he plays Cody and and it's like the signature band, the house band of this bar of the double deuce. These guys just like elevate this movie, like in a way that like the movie probably didn't really deserve. He's great in the role. The music is great by the band in it. And I just love the way that the producers actually integrated this band, which was pretty popular at the time into this film. They had him like featured all throughout. They must've had like four or five, six songs on the soundtrack. Don't you feel like it was just like a, they brought it to the next level. I could not agree more. Um, I mean, this is a roadhouse. It's not a bar. I mean, it's a place where there's a bar and there's dancing and there's tables and you got to have a band. You got to have a live band. And in Jasper, Missouri, you got a blind man and his band rocking out. I mean, it just fits. It fits the whole motif of the movie. And he's playing the guitar on his lap. He's playing the steel guitar on his lap. That was one of the reasons I think as a teenager, I didn't quite follow what was going on. I was like, how does a guy play guitar on his lap? Yep. You know? Yep. And they were playing behind a fence or a cage, I guess. <laughs> When we first see the band, they're playing behind a, a cage for safety reasons because everybody's tossing beer glasses and beer bottles at them. And then eventually, when Dalton cleans the place up, the cage comes down for a while. But I thought that was pretty interesting that they established it that way. I assumed that was an homage to the Blues Brothers movie where they go to the country bunker, Bob's country bunker, and they just end up playing uh, you know, one country hit or, or two country hits all night long. And people are tossing the beer bottles at them. That's what I always thought of when I saw the scene in Roadhouse where they were behind the cage. So this is going to disappoint you. Nominated <laughs> for five Golden Raspberry Awards. Maybe maybe this is a sign of respect, actually. It was nominated for Worst Picture. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Worst Actor, Patrick Swayze. Worst Supporting Actor, Ben Gazzara, who plays um, Brad Wesley, who we're going to talk about. Worst Director, Rowdy Harrington. And worst screenplay. The film is listed in Golden Raspberry Award founder John Wilson's book, The Official Razzie Movie Guide, as one of the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. That is an absurdity. It's a nonsense. <laughs> worst actor, Patrick Swayze. I think I just made my case. Best actor, Patrick Swayze. Ben Gazzara as uh, Brad Wesley. Who could have played Brad Wesley better than him? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Worst picture, that movie's outlived these Razzies. Right. I mean, what other movie from 1989 is still playing often on TV? Very few. What they did get right with the Golden Raspberry Awards is that they did not mention Sam Elliott. You know why? Because Sam Elliott kicks complete ass in this movie. So I know we've got quotes coming up in the podcast. Sure. But here's a Sam Elliott quote for you. Oh, let's hear it. All right. The bad guy says, you want to fight Dickless, and he just rolls his fingers through his gorgeous head of hair, right. and he goes, "Well, I sure ain't going to show you my dick." <laughs> Give me a break. This is cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> Let's go to the third round. The Swayze, what I'm calling the Swayze legacy. <laughs> These are the films that Swayze did prior to Roadhouse because he he was in this stretch of his career where you know, Dirty Dancing, 1987, obviously a massive, massive movie. 
struck a nerve with pop culture. You know, I saw it with my sister in the theater. Everybody had the soundtrack. It was one of those things. But then he did, he just went on this run of like these really bad, low grade B action movies. Steel Dawn, which I don't even remember. Tiger Warsaw, 1989. He does Next of Kin, 1989. And Roadhouse in 1989. All three of those in the same year. Then he does Ghost in 1990, which was a massive, massive movie. Monster. Obviously, Monster. that brought him to another level. And then he went on to do Point Break in 1991, which is another one I wouldn't mind doing on this podcast. And then after Point Break, it starts to kind of go off the rails again. But this was an interesting thing I thought I read about with Swayze when he got attached to this movie. Due to a knee injury that he sustained during filming... Swayze had to turn down the role of Gabriel Cash in Tango and Cash, 1989. Yeah. And he also turned down the role of Mike Harrigan in Predator 2. So because of that, he chooses to make Ghost in 1990 as his follow-up to Roadhouse because it was less physically strenuous. The knee injury ended up being a blessing in disguise as Ghost ended up being a massive, one of the most successful movies of the 90s and basically revived his career. So because of an injury in Roadhouse, that's what led him to Ghost. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible to me. It is absolutely amazing. It is serendipity. I mean, Ghost Ghost was a monster hit. Huge movie. I mean, that really launched Demi Moore. Yep. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg got a huge boost out of that. Won the Academy Award. That's right. And I don't have the 1990 grosses <laughs> at my disposal, but I want to say that Ghost might have been like the most successful movie of 1990. If not, oh, it's yeah. like it was definitely like top 3. Like it was it was up there. It was a huge huge hit. Swayze all because he hurt himself playing Dalton in Roadhouse. That's incredible. And I, I will say him in the role uh, of at Predator 2, it just I mm. I don't know. Part of the no. two is no good. It would have been interesting to see him play uh, Cash and Tango and Cash. That I could see. You know, when I think of Tango and Cash, which is a movie I like, mm-hmm. you compare it to Roadhouse, which is a movie I love. Of course. Not, it's not comparable. Now, I was curious. I When you told me that he was in Steel Dawn, I thought that was a typo. Because remember, he was in Red Dawn. He was in Red Dawn. He sure was. Which also one of Rob's favorite movies. Kicking it to the commies, you know, on their own, in the woods, living off the land, fighting the good fight for America. (laughs) I'm not even going to acknowledge that they remade it with an Australian, I think. I didn't see it. Don't don't bother. Nope. Red Dawn is a classic. I don't want to get off topic, Dennis, but (laughs) Red Dawn has Patrick Swayze's dad in a concentration camp run by the Russians and the Cubans. And he's at the fence yelling, avenge me! Avenge me! I was ready to, to like take up arms as an eight. That's the the famous actor Harry Dean Stanton that you're referring to. Was it? Absolutely. Oh, Rob. According to my math, Red Dawn celebrates its 40th anniversary next year. Oh, Dennis, I'm looking forward to a new bottle of whiskey with you, my friend. We're going to do it live in your place in Los Angeles. We're going to do this one in person. Book it. We are going to avenge Harry Dean Stanton. Where does Roadhouse rank in the Swayze film canon? I basically narrowed it down to Point Break and Roadhouse, but Red Dawn is pretty phenomenal, even if that's more of a a larger cast movie. There's a lot of people in that movie, but he is the lead. Would you say that it's those three? I would. I think that's an excellent point because with Red Dawn, you had Jennifer Grey, yep. who was huge in the 80s yep. with uh, Ferris Bueller, right? And Dirty Dancing. And Dirty Dancing. Yeah, Charlie Sheen. 
Charlie Sheen was in it. Powers Booth was in it. <laughs> yeah. Well done. I'm looking forward to this uh, this podcast in the future because Red Dawn was fantastic. But to answer your question, in the Swayze Pantheon, <laughs> I think it goes uh, Roadhouse. Okay. Red Dawn. And then the Chris Farley uh, sketch with Chippendales in um, SNL. On Saturday Night Live. I have a lot of love for Point Break. I think that movie is pretty fantastic. I mean, that's like Catherine Bigelow doing that movie yep. with Keanu Reeves. Like that, that movie's a baller. Point Break was fantastic. And I think you and I have in previous conversations wondered, did uh, Dalton and Bodie, are they, are they in a, like a parallel universe? Same character. I was just about to say that. Bo, uh, Dalton's got the degree in philosophy, which he tells yep. which he tells the doctor in Roadhouse. And Bodhi is obviously a philosopher, a surfer, bank robber, philosopher. They both know how to fight. Yep. Right? Um, I think they're both philosophers. They've just taken different life paths. One's a cooler, not a bouncer, yep. a cooler. And the other one takes the side of anarchy. Right? But I can't imagine if Bodhi walked into the double deuce that he would cause trouble. He'd go in, he'd charm the ladies, he'd dance to the Jeff Healy band, he'd buy everybody around drinks, and then he'd go on to find the next wave. I love the way they talk about Dalton in this movie. Like he's like this god, like everybody knows this guy throughout the state of Missouri. You know, this little town is supposed to be what, like 30 minutes outside of Kansas City or something like that. But yeah. like everybody knows who Dalton is. It's it's pretty amazing. I could see why Sweezy would want to play a character like that, because everybody just had like the utmost reverence for him. You talked about the fashions earlier, and I just want to add that not many actors can pull off blazers and turtlenecks, which is a style that Dalton wears several times throughout this film. Did you notice that? Not only did I notice it, Dennis, but cast your mind back to the 80s and early 90s when Rob Bone would rock a turtleneck and a blazer. Did you? I did. Christmas time, that came out. It was a green turtleneck (laughs) and my navy blazer. That was cool. I mean, guys like Swayze and Rob Bone could pull it off. Was it all the way up turtleneck or was it a mock turtleneck? Because they had those as well. I had a mock turtleneck because the full turtleneck's like, Got on my my neck and I got upset about it. He also had a lot of t-shirts with blazers, which, you know, was in the the universe with like Miami Vice and stuff like that. Um, And I wish would make a comeback because it looks pretty good in my opinion. I also noticed that Dalton wears pleated khakis and Roadhouse. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I love the fact that Dalton carries his own medical chart when he goes to... uh, and then, and, and he also wants uh, the guy that hires him. I think his name was Frank Tillman. He also has Frank pay all his medical expenses. I, th- I thought that was really interesting because he knew that he knew that there was going to be a big medical tally at the local hospital. And the, and the fact that Tillman was like, "Yeah, fine," yeah, <laughs> didn't even didn't even negotiate. It was a, it was a quick transaction. Can I talk to you for a minute? Name's Dalton, right? I don't know you. My name is Tillman. Frank Tillman. I have a little club outside of Kansas City called the Double Deuce. It used to be a sweet deal. Now it's the kind of place that they sweep up the eyeballs after closing. Anyway, I've come into a little bit of money. I'd like to make a better life for myself. I need somebody to help me clean the place up. I need the best. Wade Garrett's the best. Wade Garrett's getting old. He's still the best. 
I want you. Five thousand up front, five hundred a night cash. You pay all medical expenses. I can live with that. I run the show completely. When the job's done, I walk. I've got your plane ticket right here. I don't fly. Too dangerous. I mean, to go back to one of your earlier points, it's like, oh, everybody knows who Dalton is and everybody knows who's, who's Wade Garrett. I mean, Tillman wanted Wade Garrett, who wasn't interested in the job. That's right. The fact that people are coolers in bars and people know about it countrywide, because remember, Swayze Dalton was in New York City at the start of the film and he got convinced to go to Jasper, Missouri. I mean... The, the fact that there's this underground networking of of coolers in podunk bars is one of the great uh, attributes of this film. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add about the Sweezy legacy before we go on to the next round? Well, I did read that he hated his hairstyle. Really? In this movie. Hated it. He called it the bane of his existence, which I said is more like the main of your existence. <laughs> I was going to ask you this at the end, but I'll ask it now because that's perfect. Who had better hair in this movie, Patrick Swayze or Kelly Lynch? Because they both had that that really just voluminous mane, as you put it. Patrick Swayze, hands down, could pull it off. It's hard for a man to, to wear long hair well. Right. And he did, even though he hated it, which is still surprising to me. Right around this time period, maybe Roadhouse inspired, maybe not. But I went to my barber in suburban New Jersey. <laughs> My barber's name is Alfredo. Okay. It's that kind of barber shop. Sure, I got it. And I said I wanted a mullet like Patrick Swayze had. And Alfredo went to work, and I ended up with the same haircut I always had. And looking back on it, I realized my dad was in the chair next to me just going. Shaking his head. No. 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 <laughs> You've never seen me with hair, Dennis. You had a little bit of hair in 2010. You, you weren't all the way down yet. You were, you, there was a little bit there, but it was on, you were on your way. You're on your way. Yeah. But uh, that's a great story. I love that. All right. So I have a surprise for you. Fourth round. What I'm calling, and I didn't give this to you in your notes, so this is a complete surprise. Lay it on me. The economy of Roadhouse. Okay. We're going to look at Roadhouse by the numbers. You're a finance guy. You're a numbers guy. You're going to like this. Okay. Okay. Two minutes, 49 seconds in to this fine film is our first fight. This is when a dude kicks some woman off of her chair at the double deuce, and that, I, actually, I think it's before the double deuce. It's it's might it might be that exchange when they're getting Dalton on the phone. He's trying to hire him. That's the first fight we see. Eight minutes, forty four seconds into this film. Eight minutes, second fight. Ten minutes, twenty five seconds is our third fight. Yeah, I can't believe I took the time to do all this. Fourteen minutes and fifty two seconds in is our fourth fight. Fifteen minutes, twenty five seconds in. This is literally like. Half, half a minute later, some guy punches a woman in the face. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh about it. But I'm just I'm laughing because I can't believe they had the audacity to have that in this movie because you would never have a woman get punched in the face in a movie today. 15 minutes, 47 seconds. This is literally 20 seconds later. Carrie Ann, who's the, the waitress at the Double Deuce, she smashes a serving tray and a yep. beer bottle in a guy's face. That happens. Yep. 20 minutes is when Brad Wesley enters the film. So we have to wait a good 20 minutes before we even see our villain. 
27 minutes, seven seconds. Dalton slams a dude's face into a table. Fantastic. I love that all this has happened in the first 30 minutes. To your point earlier, 27 minutes, 47 seconds is our first gratuitous nude scene. Yeah. (laughs) You had asked me about that, so I wanted to make sure I, I got that for you. Our second gratuitous nude scene, which is at the pool party at Brad Wesley's house. Remember that? That crazy scene yeah. where they're all like drunk and they're all like taking their clothes off and they're jumping into the well, pool like Caddyshack? Crazy. Your listeners will not see this, but one of the bad guys, I can't remember his name, the tall guy. The tall dude, sure. Who dressed in a polo and cat. Yes. He's dancing in that pool scene. Remember that? I do. In the in the scene, there's this pool party with naked chicks everywhere <laughs> and he's dancing like this. And and everybody's acting like it's normal. It's crazy. It just cracked me they up. They all jumped into the water like the caddies in uh, at Bushwood. That second gratuitous nude scene is 30 minutes, 16 seconds. Okay. 39 minutes is when Kelly Lynch appears in this film. Fresh off of Cocktail, mind you, Rob, which came out mm. the prior summer. So she goes from Tom Cruise to Patrick Swayze. She gets around, Rob. She gets those big roles. Very convincing as the doctor character in this movie. Too, way too much brains to have an ass like that, Dennis. <laughs> the Wade Garrett quote, not Rob. Oh, Lee. I know. I know. I got it. <laughs> 46 minutes and four seconds is the third gratuitous nude scene. That's also when we meet one of cinema's greatest characters ever, which we already established earlier, Wade Garrett, who does indeed have the greatest hair ever in a movie. I mean, when you watch, still does. When you watch Sam Elliott in Roadhouse, you just can't stop looking at the hair, right? Like it, it's just like the hair was great. I can't believe like they pulled it off the way they did. He's got the ro- little rubber band that he's doing the the ponytail, just phenomenal, phenomenal. He pulled off the man bun decades before it became popular, right? Just wow. I mean, they should have made a whole movie about Wade Garrett. Maybe maybe it was right the way they did it. Just gave us a little taste of him, but like if they were going to do a sequel, and I know they did do one many years later, which nobody's going to talk about. No. But if they had any brains, they would have done a sequel about Wade Garrett. Yep. 49 minutes is when Wesley's guys come into the double deuce. One guy has a knife in his boot, which is basically like (laughs) something that you would see out of a James Bond movie. Um, One hour, four minutes into this film, fourth gratuitous nude scene. That's when Kelly Lynch gets naked for the first time. Yeah. Which, you know, she's getting out of bed after her and Dalton hooked up. And again, not necessary. Totally gratuitous. One hour, eight minutes. Wade arrives on his motorcycle and this movie jumps to what I would say another level of absolute coolness. One hour, 20 minutes, fifth gratuitous nude scene, which is when one Brad Wesley's chick does that strip tease after Wesley sets Red's auto parts on fire. Yeah. Get those firefighters in here. I want to buy them a drink. (laughs) Which is a terrible thing he does. He just sets this guy's business on fire. He brings everybody back to the par. And, and then his girl is doing the whole striptease. Terrible. And then this is also at one hour and 20 minutes is when Wesley's main lackey, Jimmy, yeah, also makes his big entrance. Although he's he shows up in the movie earlier, but this is when he has his big moment, right? This is when he's got the pool stick and he's like, yep. and he's like roughing up a bunch of the guys and he's, he's like trolling it around like some sort of karate guy, right? And then a massive brawl ensues. The double deuce gets totally trashed. Jimmy is this uh, martial arts expert also rocking a decent mullet. He's got uh, jeans on, painted on. Yep. I think in that scene, he was wearing a uh, denim vest. I could be wrong about that. What do you think about denim on denim as a, as a fashion choice? Let's just get that out of the way. 
Well, let's just say, again, in the 80s and early 90s, Rob Bone rocked a, the Canadian tuxedo on many an occasion. <laughs> Christmas, Easter, right? <laughs> Easter. I never took the sleeves off. <laughs> but but the point I want to make about Jimmy is that uh, Brad Wesley has these absolute buffoons as goons. They got the fat guy who's wearing suspenders. They got the accountant who looks like Lurch who can't dance. And then he's got this, like, assassin ninja guy. I, I mean, it's hard to find good talent around here, but seriously. If you're Brad Wesley, how do you go about rounding up some thugs like that? Like, where do you, where do, you do? Like, how do you, you get some referrals? Are there, are there applications? What's, what's involved? Well, he has a cousin in Memphis <laughs> who informed on Dalton's past to him. And, you know, plenty of, uh, Memphis is a border town, like on the, on the Mississippi bootlegging town. I'm sure they've got a lot of goons for hire in Memphis. Maybe he's gotten some guys out of there. But, you know, it's got to be slim picking. You think those guys are on the payroll? Like, does he pay them? I think he's got to. I mean, they're not doing it for fun. Tinker is in there for the fried chicken. Tinker. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he's got to be paying them somehow. You have the good a mafioso Don has to pay his people. What did you think about my fourth round of the economy of Roadhouse? Were you impressive with all those numbers? I was extremely impressed, but it goes, it goes to say why it's exciting. People like fights. They like action, Yep. right? They like gratuitous nudity. At least I do. Sure. Who doesn't? Um, I will say, I can't remember uh, Wesley's girlfriend's name. Oh, the blonde hair. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you what her name was. Yeah. But I remember her hairstyle was so out of date. And I remember that um, she was wearing these like frilly panties yep. that just are out of place in our modern times. Very, it was out a of very, place. very eighty-nine uh, captured moment. Do you remember your first gratuitous nude scene as like a youngster, like when you're you know watching movies that you shouldn't be watching? I would say I'll give you a second to think about that. Mine was. I don't need a second, Dennis. But go ahead. My dad definitely took me to R-rated movies way before I should be allowed to. Like, and it might bothered my mom a lot. But I would say for me, first like first time I really felt like I saw nudity in a movie that was inappropriate, and I'm talking about in the theater, was either – I think it's a tie, and I think there was probably both in 83, National Lampoon's Vacation with Beverly D'Angelo. Definitely, yeah. definitely goes topless. And I remember like looking – as I was with my mom and dad's, we were on summer vacation when we saw it. And I remember like looking like both ways in the theater like, should I, not, should I be leaving? Like, should I not be seeing this? And then also Jamie Lee Curtis in Trading Places. Wow. Right? She goes topless for Winthorpe. Oh, trust me. I remember. <laughs> I recall. But to answer your question, yes. yes, I remember exactly where I was and which movie. It was Revenge of the Nerds. Yes, sure. Of course. And I saw it on HBO <laughs> and I was watching it in my parents' bedroom. My parents were dead asleep. Yep. And that came on during the panty raid scene. And I was like frozen on the floor where I was lying, frozen. And I <laughs> cautiously crept up to see if my parents were awake. I looked up. They're not awake. I'm like, oh, 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 this boy has emerged from this movie, a man. That is a life moment right there, isn't it? Incredible. Oh, man. Fantastic. Yeah. I always like, and it's funny, like on that note, like years later when we started getting into VHS and my dad would rent a movie or we'd rent Police Academy or something like that. And like, we'd be watching it. Like, again, like my brother's at college, my sister's at college. So I'm the only one left at the house at the time. Right. So on a Saturday night, I'm 13 or 14. I'm watching VHSs with my parents. And I, it would be a movie that I probably had already seen because I was a film geek at this point. 
And like I knew when the nude scene was coming on, if it was Police Academy, I knew when what's her name is going to Kim Cattrall is going to go topless or whatever it is. And I would always have to go to the bathroom at that exact moment yeah. because I, I, as much as I wanted to see the nudity, because I was a 13 year old boy with feelings. I did not want to see it in front of my mother. So I would be like, oh, I got to go take a leak or whatever. And I would always come back right after said nude scene had finished. So I didn't have to uh, suffer the awkwardness and embarrassment of watching it with my parents. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Same. I, I do remember, and I'm going way off topic from Roadhouse, but um, one of the VHS miracles of my life was Ghostbusters. Sure. Sure. And there's this scene where uh, Rick Moranis is walking through the streets and he comes up to this horse and he's like, you know, trying to talk to the horse <laughs> and, uh, the, the, the horse, what do you call those guys in central park? I don't know. The horse guy sure. yeah. says to him, Hey, Hey buddy, he just pulls the wagon. I, you know, you want to ride, you talk to me and his eyes light up and he runs off and the guy goes, what an asshole. And I thought that was so funny as a little young man that I ran to my mom in the kitchen. And I said, this guy just said, what an asshole. <laughs> And my mother was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Didn't like that at all. I am Vince Clortho, key master of Gozer. Exactly. He played a character named Lewis Tully, if memory serves. So you all die in flames. <laughs> you shouldn't do your own taxes either. <laughs> my grandfather looks like an important man. He was an asshole. But you, you're a smart boy, aren't you, Dalton? You're just not too realistic. Christ, I'm just like you. I came up the hard way, on the streets of Chicago. You know, when I came to this town after Korea, there was nothing. I brought the ball here. I got the 7-Eleven. I got the Potomat here. Christ, J.C. Penny is coming here because of me. You ask anybody, they'll tell you. You've gotten rich off of the people in this town. <laughs> you bet your ass I have. And I'm going to get richer. I believe we all have a purpose on this earth. A destiny. I have a faith in that destiny. It tells me to gather unto me what is mine. Oh, Christ, you get paid for beating people up. Tell me you don't love it. Of course you do. You wouldn't be human if you didn't. Fifth round, Brad Wesley, an appreciation. Let's get into it. Okay. This, this Brad yeah, Wesley, one of the great movie villains ever, certainly from the 80s, memorably played by the late Ben Gazzara who passed away in, in 2012. This guy was in a million shows and a million movies, but he's got that face that you feel like you know like everything that he's done. But I, when I went back and looked at his IMDb, he, didn't, he never really did anything that really stood out to me, except that he was in The Big Lebowski. He played Jackie Treehorn and the Coen Brothers. That's right. That's, that's Ben Gazzara. That's, right. that's Ben Gazzara. Yeah. But so the Coen Brothers see the genius. But I... But when I looked at the titles, like nothing else really jumps out at me. But the guy, I felt like that guy was in everything, wasn't he? I tell you what, I, I had no clue he was in The Big Lebowski. He's in Lebowski. To me, he's Brad Wesley. And a lot of actors sometimes feel pigeonholed when they have a character that just defines them, right? <laughs> and they can't break out of it. This poor guy, he's Brad Wesley forever. Where does Wesley rank in 80s? action villains and i'm going to give you a choice these are the three that i came up with okay you okay. you may have others and i would welcome any additions victor maitland from Be Be beverly hills cop hans gruber which is the obvious one from die hard yeah i have arjun rudd the diplomatic immunity south african guy from lethal weapon 2 nobody can top hans gruber okay period okay i, I give right. you that but those other guys are not memorable to me come on i mean i remember them but they're not memorable come on 
there's Sully from Commando. From Commando. Yep. Right. I think uh, Gans from Forty Eight Hours was a pretty badass guy. He was going around. Yeah. He was going around yeah. shooting cops the whole movie. Yep. Going back to Ghostbusters, the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man, as well as that um, EPA bureaucrat whose name escapes me. <laughs> he was classic in it. Got, talk about a guy who nobody could play that role better. So this is why you need a guy like me on this podcast, Rob. His name was Walter Peck. That was the character's name. <laughs> <laughs> is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> played by the late William Atherton, who also played the journalist in Die Hard. It all comes back to Die That's Hard. right. Right? Who played a jerk better in that decade than that guy? That, that, guy is, that guy almost deserves his own podcast. Here's what I'll say about Brad Wesley. He doesn't even look like your typical villain. Like he's, he's no. not he, – this is what I wrote in my notes. He lacks any physical prowess. Has, you know, he obviously has some cash. He has a decent-sized house, but he doesn't – he certainly doesn't look comfortable when he's throwing that spear at the end and the big action, the action finale. He's, it's hard to believe that that guy killed all those animals in his trophy room. You're a guy that likes to hunt. You're a guy that likes to go out there and, and be with nature. I could see you having a trophy room like that, Rob, not Brad Wesley. I just, I didn't buy it. The only thing missing, Dennis, is your ass. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he basically just like relies on his goons. And like, I just, I just feel like, you know, except for Jimmy, all those guys are really bad at their job. They get their asses kicked over and over again. I just don't think that he's a good, like, he's just a good bad guy. He just doesn't seem like he's, I didn't buy it. As much as I love the character, I don't buy him as a villain. It's just not believable. I, I saw this uh, documentary on the mob and they're talking about these mobsters, right? And it's not the biggest guy and it's not the toughest guy. It's the guy who's most willing to resort to violence immediately that rises in the mob. And that's Brad Wesley. He came back from Korea. He probably killed a lot of Chinamen, you know, and uh, a lot of commies are dead. And he, he brought in like the J.C. Penney and all this stuff. Ask anybody. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. Right. They'll tell you. And, and you know, he found some goons and he pays them and they're kind of stupid and they do what he wants. And people fall in line because they don't want any trouble. And he carved out a niche for himself. I love that he talks about how he brought the mall to Jasper as well. He brought the mall. He brought the mall. That was before J.C. Penney's. Well, as a guy from Short Hills, New Jersey, the mall is a big deal. Uh, the J.C. Penney thing is, is a great, great line. That's just hilarious because that store was a big part of my childhood. And my brother and I, that, that was a, they used to have this thing called the J.C. Penney catalog, which is where we used to order all of our football jerseys back then. Like back then, Rob, you couldn't go to like, you know. You couldn't go online and order yourself a, no. a, a Tony Dorsett jersey. You had to get it through J.C. Penney's catalog. And the jerseys were sort of like knockoffs, just fantastic stuff. So the fact that Brad Wesley brought J.C. Penney to Jasper is great. And I love the fact, like, one of the very earliest scenes in this movie, when they first introduce him, he's, he's driving down. He's driving his convertible, right? And he's driving down the highway. And he's like, he's, he's Shaboom Shaboom song is playing. And he's like zigzagging back and forth across the lanes like he's drunk because he knows that Dalton's yeah. in the other car coming at him. And he tries to run him off the road. What kind of scene is that? That's just crazy. What he was proving was that this is his town. And anybody that wants to utilize the public roadways in his town or have a business in his town, he's got to get out of his way. And he's going to do what he wants to do. I love that when Dalton gets into the house, right? Brad Wesley's he's sitting at his little kitchen table and he's eating. It looks like he's eating like eggs Benedict or something like that. There might be some ham on the, t on the plate. And like right. the, the music in the house is played really loud because that blonde bimbo that he's dating is in the next room dancing and they show her and she's got a black eye. So obviously he beats her a little bit, but like the music is really obnoxious and loud. And then he yells, 
will you shut that shit off? <laughs> yep. And he's like, I can't listen to that crap. It's got no hearts. Well, he, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And I, the music was bothering me as well. But like, just wow, what a, what a wonderful character. Did you find it creepy that Wesley would watch Dalton and the doctor? I think her name was Elizabeth. The first night at, at the farmhouse and up in his little his little bedroom, and the, the two of them are getting it going, right? And he's like he's like sitting on his porch across the river. He's like smoking a stogie, and it's like a Saturday night, and he's looking at these two going at it. A little creepy, a little weird. Well, yeah, I remember there was some history between Wesley and the doc. Was there right? <laughs> there was some history there, and uh, you know, a lot of people get obsessed with you know, uh, former love interests. And they, they, nowadays they stalk them on Facebook. Sure. In the old days, they spied at them through a barn. So, you know, in that sense, it's not that unusual. Secondly, Kelly Lynch, your chef's kiss right there. I mean, who, who wouldn't spy on her getting it on? Lighting up a Macanudo, looking at the two of them. I don't know. Read a book. Do a puzzle. <laughs> do something. There was no internet back then, Dennis. The Bigfoot truck, right? That The big sequence where the Bigfoot truck yeah. um, destroys the Strodenmeyer Ford dealership. I looked it up. That's the name of it. <laughs> I mean, like Brad Wesley, this guy, he's like, he's relentless. He just wants to collect kickback money from everybody in town, right? But here's what I don't yeah. understand. If he wants their money that badly, why would he then destroy their business? Because then he can't get anything. So like, Rob, you work in finance. That doesn't seem to make any sense to me. It sends a message to the others, <laughs> right? This is what we call a loss leader, Dennis, yep. in, in finance. It's like the chickens at Costco. You're not making money on the chickens or the hot dog, <laughs> but you get people in the door, you get people to spend money, and it's the same deal. Same deal. You've got you to establish your territory. You got to make sure the other guys know what could happen to them, and maybe you have a hit, but, you know, you got insurance, don't you? Remember that? Line? I do remember that, and I'm not sure if he if he ever did. So that's that's certainly uh, part of the issue. No, I just think it's exciting the fact that an old, pasty, flabby guy can absolutely control a town. Which, as we've discussed, I mean, it's not completely unusual. But um, you know, he tries to befriend Dalton. He tries to coerce Dalton, co-opt Dalton. And he just doesn't understand when he meets somebody because of the philosophy degree from NYU that has a moral compass because he's never had to deal with that before. People either fell in line or became one of his goons or whatever it is. And now he's faced with a conundrum and all of his usual tricks don't work. So there's only one thing to do, and that's to have his buddy Jimmy go try to kill him and gets his throat ripped out. <laughs> Didn't work out for Jimmy. You think that Wesley was... Um envious of Dalton's good looks and Wade Garrett's good looks for that matter? Like, do you think that, you know, cause Wesley's not, he's not a good looking guy. I mean, he's, you know, no, right. No. I mean, you can have all the money in the world. You can have the bimbo girlfriend, but the weird panties, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have the respect, the natural respect that Dalton got from his crew, right. By being a natural leader being naturally good at what he does. And Wesley, that's what Wesley craved. That's what all these mafia guys, you know, you watch a mafia movie, they talk about respect. Well, they get respect because they're bullies. Dalton gets respect because he's good at what he does. And I think that really rubbed Wesley raw. And when Wesley tried to buy him off and he didn't do it, 
that set up the uh, penultimate scene where they had like one of them had to go. Dalton gets respect because he goes into the bar and he orders coffee and he stands there at the corner of the bar, not drinking the booze at all, just taking it all in. Leaded or unleaded? <laughs> sixth round, as you pour yourself another, which I, I love. That might even be your sixth round for, for what it looks like. Um, I'm going to call this section Random Thoughts, okay? Okay. Dalton versus Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. That's the Mel Gibson character from Lethal Weapon. Who wins that fight? Because I, I ask you that because they seem like they're both in that same weight class. Both have martial arts experience. And like, you know, both kind of short. Who wins? Same haircut. Same haircut. <laughs> That's a good point. Absolutely, Dalton wins that fight. I think Riggs re- relies on his firearm a lot. I think Dalton has better martial arts skills. They both will look great in jeans. <laughs> So that's a wash. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm going Dalton on this one. We don't really see um, Dalton wear jeans much in this movie because he wears the pleated khakis. Look, though, I mean, here's my counterpoint to that. You know, Riggs, he he kills Mr. Joshua at the end on, on, at the end on, on um, Danny Glover's front lawn. And he's got him in that. Yeah. He's got him in that jujitsu headlock thing around his head. That, that's yeah. some serious martial arts right there. I don't know, man. I think I think Riggs might win that. Dalton would not get into the position because he'd have ripped his throat out by then. <laughs> No, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going Dalton on this one. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. I think that's a very, very fair, very competitive matchup. I think Martin Riggs versus Dalton. I think Dalton has a calmness to him. It's the philosophy. Sure. Of course. I think he's got a, a, a grounding, a sense of self that in a fight comes in very handy. When when Frank Tillman hires Dalton, I believe it was five thousand in cash, and then it was five hundred a night in addition, and then he yeah. covers all his medical expenses. Right. So there's that one yeah. scene when when Dalton throws a guy through Frank's office window, <laughs> that big giant window that overlooks the double deuce. Right. Do you think? Yeah. My question to you is this: Do you think Frank takes that out of that five hundred a night? Like, does that get taken out? Hey Dalton, you broke my window. I'm giving you two twenty five tonight because that that window costs money. I think Frank totally eats that cost. <laughs> I think that eats his cost. Cause I remember, you know, Dalton walks into his office and he's and Tillman sitting there like, you know, behind his desk. And he's got that weird bartender with the mustache. Sure. Yeah. Right. That Dalton kicked out for, for stealing from the till. Yep, sure was. And then they, they had the accountant goon and the fat goon. Right. And, and Tillman's intimidated by these buffoons. <laughs> like he's, he's motionless. No, he's not charging Dalton for anything. Where was the police during this movie? Now, I know Wesley is in bed with the local authorities. They made that very clear. That's obviously a convenience from the screenwriter. But you destroyed someone's car dealership by driving a monster truck through it. Okay? You just can't do that. It's against the law, Rob. They blew up a guy's farmhouse. Yeah. And the auto parts store. You can't do those things. Where are the cops? The cops are nowhere to be seen. Well, I think the most obvious explanation is lazy screenwriting. Okay. (laughs) But in their defense, the screenwriter's defense, you know, these are small towns, Dennis. I mean, you may have a sheriff, one or two deputies. I mean, there's not a lot of people out there. Somebody loses a chicken 
that deputy's 20 miles away when Bigfoot goes through the car dealership. My brother and I have this funny bit ongoing for years. And you, you never met. Did you ever meet my dad? Did ever? Did you guys no. ever meet them when you when they came to visit? I couldn't remember if you ever met them. No, I've met Jim a couple times, but not your daddy. So my dad was notorious for like making odd comments while we watch movies together. We'd always like rent VHSs. We'd be on the couch and we'd be watching stuff together. Or he'd like lean into you at the theater and say something to you really loud. And you'd be like, dad, like <laughs> keep it down. You know, people can hear yep. you. But like in Roadhouse, if I was watching Roadhouse with my dad and like the, the big truck, the Bigfoot scene comes on and they destroy the, the Stroudmeyer Ford dealership. My dad would be like, Dennis, I got to tell you, that's not right. You just can't do that. That's just that's just wrong. And he would actually be like sort of quasi angry that it's a small town businessman. I mean, that's his livelihood. Dennis, this this guy, this guy, Wesley, this guy's a really bastard. This guy's just this guy's bad. He needs to go down. That's what he would say. Well, first of all, it gives me great joy with the um, the pride that you mentioned the name of the dealership. Come on. <laughs> what kind of podcast do you think I'm running here? We all, we're all about the details. Stroudmeyer. Yeah, I know. But I guarantee tonight when we wrap, if you look up Stroudmeyer Ford T-shirt <laughs> on the internet, I guarantee one exists. I guarantee it. Well, now now I know what to expect from you for uh, Christmas. Rob, if I find that T-shirt, I'm, I'm getting it for you. I swear to God. Thank you. And you will wear it. I know you will. I'll wear it on my next podcast with you. The Stroudmeyer Ford T-shirt is a deep, deep, deep cut. That is some of the deepest you'll find, I think. If we do uh, trading places next, though, I am wearing a Harvard tie. <laughs> you know who the actor Keith David is? Of course I know who the actor Keith David is. He is prolific. I actually looked him up. He's got something like... He's in, he's in everything. He's got something like 394 credits on IMDb. I, I remember going and looking that up. It's something outrageous. He's the new bartender that Dalton hires in this movie. And I will tell you, I love Keith David. That guy... He's in something about Mary. He's in Men at Work, which is a great little stupid movie with Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. We should do that when one. they play, they play the garbage men, and he's 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 yeah. the guy that goes along to supervise their 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 day. Don't touch another man's fries. Don't touch Dennis. another man's fries. You remember that, Rob? If we ever do the podcast for Men at Work, a, a wonderful comedy from 1990, I'm pretty sure that will be the end of the podcast. I, I think that would be. Uh, <laughs> That'll be the end of Back by Popular Demand, right there. Well, I'd go out happy if I was doing that with you. That movie's fantastic. Why doesn't anybody talk about that movie? It's so great. Garbage men who are surfers, you know, and they've got a crazed war veteran supervisor, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, brothers in real life. Yes. I mean, give me a break. Oh, it's so good. How many tables and chairs do you think Frank Tillman had to buy for the double deuce? <laughs> I mean, Rob... Again, my dad would say this as well. He'd be like, Dennis, this furniture, these, these, these guys are breaking tables every night. That, that, that adds up. That's a lot of money. It's not a good business model. No. Right? Well, I mean, they lost dozens, dozens of chairs at the very least, breaking on people's heads and stuff like that. And then these guys, they would like, if I hit a table, my back would break. The table wouldn't break. <laughs> these people are busting tables left and right. Why do you think everybody is so angry in Jasper? What's, what's going on there? <laughs> Okay, that's a good question. I wasn't prepared. Sure, for. that's what we do. Why are they so angry? Well, you know, they're in they're in kind of like a podunk town. Not a lot of job prospects. You know, the only girls they can bang are their high school girls. So they're like, Ugh, you know, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a fun place to be. And the only place in town to go hang out is the Double Deuce. And despite the Double Deuce actually looking like an awesome time, 
with a great bar. It's huge. There's a dance floor. They got an awesome band. You know, they got girls there. Uh, these guys show up and they just want to break stuff. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, look, I mean, you, we got, you and I got to Munich and you wanted to get into a fight. We were there five hours. So there's, there's something going on there. What is that? Alcohol could be a factor. But if you recall in, in Munich, I, I did not get in a fight. I was having too good a time. And, uh, you know, one of the goons goes up to Dalton and he's like, you know, what are the, or the bad guys like, what are these people doing here? He's like, drinking and having a good time. He's like, well, that's what we're here for. And then, obviously, the knife in the boot comes up. Sure. And Dalton goes, you're too stupid to have a good time. Sorry, we're closed. Well, what are all these people doing here? Drinking and having a good time. Well, that's why we're here. You're too stupid to have a good time. And that's true. There are a lot of people that are out there. They're just angry at the world. They get some alcohol in them and they want to take out their frustrations. And I think that was part of the double deuces problem. But like, why throw a beer bottle at the band? What do they do to you? They're just play, providing good rock music, good old fashioned entertainment. What did Jeff Healy do to anybody? That I can't explain because that band rock. Right? I mean, that was awesome. If, like, if I walked into a bar and the Jeff Healy band was cranking it. They're playing at a fucking cage, Rob. It's crazy. <laughs> It's not like Bob's Country Bunker. All right. <laughs> Best lines. I know you must have some quotes written down. Do you have any quotes written down from this movie or do you want me to go? I do think that I see you found my trophy room, Dalton. The only thing missing is your ass. <laughs> your ass. was a good one. I had that one. I had. Um, I have some simple ones like pain don't hurt. <laughs> that's that's some of the Dalton like wisdom right there, right? Pain don't hurt. And I, I used this one earlier in the podcast, but that girl's got entirely too much brains to have an ass like that. This is when a random guy says to another, I guess a woman at the bar. This is early on in the movie. He says, hey, vodka rocks. What do you say you and me get nipple to nipple? <laughs> That's right up there with uh, champ kind. This is the best one. This is my favorite one. This is Jimmy. He says this during the fight at the end. Rob, this line is crazy. I used to fuck guys like you in prison. He says that to Dalton. And he said it like, I'm tougher than you. Right? (laughs) Seventh round, double deuce trivia. Okay. Ready. First of all, um, I couldn't believe this until I watched this again the other night. The opening scene, rock band, that singer is the same guy that's in the movie Desperado. And from Dust Till Dawn, his name, I had to look it up. His name is Tito Lariva, and he is clearly a Robert Rodriguez favorite because he's in two Robert Rodriguez movies, Desperado from Dust Till Dawn. If you look at him, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. It's quite a mariachi right there. Annette Benning was originally cast as Elizabeth, the doctor. That blew my mind. Can you believe that? That blew my mind. Right? Yeah. Do you think she regrets it? No. <laughs> and apparently they didn't cast her because they said that she and Swayze had too little chemistry. So she was replaced by Kelly Lynch. I don't know how much chemistry plays into professional acting. I'm sure it plays a big role, but I don't know. I, I think Kelly Lynch was very good for the role. I think Annette Benning would have been good for the role, but it's hard to tell from this vantage point. The, the aforementioned monster truck that drives through the, you want to say it? You want me to say it? Stroudmire 
Ford, Ford dealership is the Bigfoot 7. I'm writing this down. I'm writing down. You, you should. I'm, I'm going to get you the T-shirt. The Bigfoot 7, it's called. It was driven by former vice president of Bigfoot 4x4, Jim Kramer. It, that truck cost $500,000. That was done in one take, clearly, because they destroyed the, the dealership. The Bigfoot had to be repainted after that scene, and it went on to crush cars all throughout the country and the world. Rob, here's my question. Why do I think that you would have brought your lawn chair to that dealership to watch that get destroyed by the Bigfoot? I'll tell you why, Dennis. It's because I went to Monster Jam in Hartford Coliseum in 2002. Okay. And I saw Bigfoot in person. So you knew I was a fan. I did. I don't think I knew. You never told me that. I'm pretty sure I didn't know that. Did you really? I went... I- I went with a couple of my college buddies, assorted girlfriends who were not pleased to be there. And <laughs> and I went with my buddy, uh, Dean, who is from Atlanta. Yep. He was one of the very few Southerners at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. And Dean was having the time of his life. And when Bigfoot was crashing through these cars, he was up on his seat. He's he's whooping and hollering. And I was like, this this is a scene, man. But I had a great time. And so, you, absolutely, I would have been at the Stroudmeyer Ford dealership to watch Bigfoot crush all the cars. I've been with you when you've been very drunk. You and I have, you know, obviously, we got pretty lit up in uh, in Munich. And we've had many, yeah. many other drinking episodes in the years that we were in Atlanta together. But I, I, I could see myself, and I was watching that scene, watching the, all the people. They're all, like, surrounding the, the dealership. The truck goes through. And I could see you sitting in your chair. We'd, like, you'd be drinking some sort of IPA. And, like, you'd be, like... <laughs> You'd be like leaning into me if I was sitting next to you. You'd be like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny from that scene. I don't know if you remember, but Stroudmeyer, I guess his name is Stroudmeyer. Sure. You know, he's wearing a tie and a uh, button down shirt with short sleeves, which is a combination I hate. <laughs> like I have a visceral reaction against people who wear a tie with a button down shirt with short sleeves. Not a good look. No offense to the Mormon missionaries. Not a good look. Okay. But I, I hate that look. It's just small-time cheesy to me. And the fact that the guy was wearing it made me give him a lot less sympathy. Yep. I noticed, <laughs> I noticed um, the very first scene at the Double Deuce they, in the background. I never picked up on this before. There's a guy dancing shirtless. <laughs> Would you ever dance shirtless at the Double Deuce? Not at the Double Deuce. I have danced shirtless. But not in front of random strangers. That's absurd. Do you have danced shirtless at, at Oktoberfest? If I could not have gotten uh, kicked out, yeah. I may have considered it. But I was wearing my awesome gingham shirt with my lederhosen. I looked pretty good. You definitely had the legit lederhosen. Very impressive. By the way, Dennis, next year, you and me, Oktoberfest twenty. We've been saying this for years, and we never do it. Are we going to go? Seriously? We're going. According to Kelly Lynch, whenever Bill Murray... The actor sees her sex scene with Patrick Swayze on TV. He calls her husband, Mitch Glazer, to tease him about it. Isn't that hilarious? I think that is one of the most fantastic bits of trivia I've ever heard in my life because it's so classic Bill Murray. Right? Right? I mean, Kelly Lynch is butt naked. This was 30 years ago. So obviously, you know, long time has passed, but she's probably proud of that body back then. And yet, Bill Murray calls her husband to tease her about her making out with Patrick Swayze. And I read that he actually called her um, or called uh, Mitch from Russia while he was on location. He was on TV in Russia. And he took the time to call, you know, eight, 10, 
time zones away to to give him crap about it. And I just love that about him. I think that's a very Bill Murray story. Marshall Teague, who plays Jimmy, apparently they offered his role to Scott Glenn, who turned it down. Did you know that? No. I don't see him as Jimmy at all. Do you? No, no, no. That that was a huge casting error if they were going to go that direction. Because who could have played that character better than... Um, Marshall Teague. Yeah, than Marshall Teague. Nope, nobody. In fact, I have a very hard time picturing anybody in any role in Roadhouse played by a different actor. <laughs> I, I just cannot even think about it. Even the guy who plays Stroudmire. Nobody else could have played Stroudmire. Red was perfect. Kelly Lynch was perfect. Wade Garrett was perfect. Dalton was perfect. Brad Wesley. Who could have played Brad Wesley? Nobody. I'm fairly certain that every time I mention Stroudmire on this podcast, people are laughing. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> I think we've got a new inside joke, Dennis. Oh, that's funny shit. That shit makes me laugh. What a, what a fun way to start the week. Um, yeah, so Marshall Teague ended up getting the role when Joel Silver found out that he had martial arts experience, and that's how Marshall T got the, got the part of Jimmy. And I thought this was interesting, that apparently the entire several weeks that, that they were on set together, Marshall Teague and Patrick Swayze would not talk to each other. They, 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 they sort of stayed in character until their big fight scene was filmed. And at that point, they finally started communicating. But until then, they were like in the, in the moment, they were just ignoring each other on purpose. I love it. I love that kind of stuff. You know, I didn't know if that was method acting or maybe they just didn't get along. Yep. You know, who knows? But I did read an article with Marshall Teague saying, you know, after their fight, they kind of, you know, got over whatever the issue was and they, they started hanging out and it was, the relationship was good. But I, I think that probably helped with the performance, the fact that they were a little frosty yep. beforehand. Yeah. Right. I mean, one guy was about to get his throat ripped out can't do that to somebody you're friendly with. I was always a big Patrick Swayze fan. I really liked him. I liked him early on in his career when he was in The Outsiders. I, I liked him in Uncommon Valor. Just like carries carries himself, has a lot of big screen presence. And I when I was watching Roadhouse, and obviously he didn't pass away till you know, another, I guess, 20 years or, or something like that. But like yeah. knowing that all that was coming in his future, this was just like this, this actor that was just like on top of the world at that point, right? It was right before Ghost. Good-looking guys in phenomenal shape. Has this charisma, as you said earlier, and it kind of bummed me out when I was watching Roadhouse a little bit, knowing that his career was, you know, his life was, you know, cut short the way it was. Like I think he had probably could have had a lot of a lot of potential as an older actor later in his career that never never was realized. He absolutely could have, and that's a great point. I mean, this guy was extremely talented. He was a good actor, fantastic dancer. Yep. Right. I mean, uh, he, he by all accounts fairly nice guy. Yep. And, um, you know, he died of cancer young. He was, a, he was a chain smoker, right? Which doesn't help. Um, but yeah, it, it was a shame. Last call. That's what I'm calling this last section. Okay. Nobody ever wins a fight, which is basically like, do you think that that's basically like the, the key takeaway from this movie? That's the bottom line of Roadhouse? Well, I mean, uh, Patrick Swayze won the fight. I mean, he got the bad guy. He got the girl, Right. And, uh, but I, I take, I see what they're trying to say, right? It's part of the philosophy dynamic that Dalton brings to the table. It's like, nobody really wins. You're either, you're either physically beaten or you're emotionally beaten. Yep. Right. 
Um, so I, I get that. I'm not sure I agree with it. Well, you know, you could also look at it that he also lost his best friend. He lost Wade Garrett, who gets killed and, he did. you know, got caught up in, caught up with some bad people in uh, Jasper. September 2015, it was announced that Ronda Rousey, who was obviously a big deal at that, at that moment of her career, was going to star in a remake of Roadhouse. Famous director Nick Cassavetes was going to write and direct it. However, plans for the movie fell through, and they that remake was quietly canceled a year later. There was a huge push in Hollywood to remake classic movies with gender role reversals, right? To be frank... Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters being the most probably obvious example. I would have absolutely watched Ronda Rousey in a Roadhouse movie. Of course. Ronda Rousey was a badass. I really like her. I heard they're making it with Jake Gyllenhaal now. I'm not watching that movie. You're going to watch it. You're so full of shit. You're totally going to watch Jake Gyllenhaal. Of all the movies that I think get wokeified and they're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to make this character a female, whatever. Ronda Rousey, I think, would have been a fantastic Dalton alter ego. I really do. And I think if it was done well, that would be a great movie. I would have seen it in theater. I would have rented it. Um, so I'm sorry that didn't work out. I don't know what happened. I guess her Hollywood career didn't really materialize. I think the way they thought it was going to is that probably had something to do with it from a marketability standpoint. The interesting thing about this remake, and I think it's coming out soon because it was announced and I know they're in post-production and I know that it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Um, but Doug Lehman is the director. Doug Lehman has directed a lot of movies. That guy directed Swingers. He directed Tom Cruise and Edge of Tomorrow. He directed oh. he directed the movie Go in the late 90s. Um, he is the director of the Roadhouse remake. So I'm not sure of the release date. I know that um, Joan Hall plays a former UFC fighter who becomes the cooler at this bar. So that's about all I know about it. But Jake Gyllenhaal, great actor. But let me tell you, former UFC fighter, that's not Dalton. That's not Dalton. Dalton's not a professional fighter. That just comes with the territory of calming people down in a bar, which is his profession for some unknown reason. I mean, that in itself is uh, changing the character and his motivations and his backstory. I mean, if you're a UFC fighter, you are a naturally aggressive dude. You're not a philosophy major, right? And Ronda Rousey could have pulled it off, I think. She could have been like, you know, I worked in my dad's bar or whatever, and I did UFC for fun or, you know. But I will say this about Jake Gyllenhaal. The other day I was watching Jarhead on TV. Sure. And I thought, wow, this guy, he's a good actor. He is. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but I hate remakes. Me too. I hated the Red Dawn remake, and they're going to have a high bar for, for me. I'll leave you with, with this on Roadhouse. I think Roadhouse would have been a very good TV series. There's a couple ways you could go here, right? But I went to the A-Team, that every episode in the A-Team, they basically went from town to town, right? So think, yeah. think about Dalton as this guy, this drifter, this drifter cooler who goes from town to town and he gets each episode, he gets into a new town, new corruption, new bad guy. That, that's what the A-Team was. Dennis, you are spot on, as always, <laughs> spot on. They could even do a whole season in one Exactly. Town. Next season, I, new town, right? Yep. We're in Jasper. We have this huge character arc of the villain, huge character arc of the secondary players, res- resolution. He gets in his car. He drives off, not the one, the beater that, you know, has got a two by four through the windshield. 
It's like, I'm in Jasper. You know what? Now I'm going to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And then I'm going to Reno, Nevada. And then I'm going to Amarillo, Texas. I think that would be a fantastic series. And I think you should produce I would watch that show. Oh, fantastic. I think you're on to something. I think you're really on to something. Well, I'm glad because I've been thinking about this one for a little while. I was going to lay it on you tonight. (laughs) So I'm glad you approve. All right. So listen, we've already decided there's like four different things we need to do for our next episode. You will definitely come back. This was a ton of fun. You passed your audition. I know you were very nervous about yes. that. So congratulations. You're part of the you're part of the now the 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 inner sanctum of back by popular demand. So thrilled to have you back. But we had talked about doing trading places. We talked about doing minute work. We talked about doing yeah. Red Dawn 40th anniversary, which I'm very, very excited about. So that yeah. would I would probably put that at the top of my list. But you and I were chatting earlier, because I reached out to you earlier this year that this fall is the, I want to say it's the 45th anniversary of Dawn of the Dead. Is it really? It is. George Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978. And I am, you know, if we could fit it in, running out of time, but if we could fit it in before the end of the year, do we want to have this long gestating conversation about zombies that you and I have been talking about since I've known you? Dennis, I want to have that conversation right now. I want to have it tonight. (laughs) I'm ready to go. You name the time and the place, and I am ready to go. You have a theory about fast versus slow zombies. Do you want to tease us a little bit with this right now? I, I do, and, and I think my perspective on this has changed since I moved south. Uh, the slow-moving zombie apocalypse would never happen because we are too well-armed as a society. Not even a question. Fast zombies... Totally different story. I am I am firmly in the fast zombie camp. If there's going to be a world takeover of zombies, they're going to have to be quick on their feet, at least in these parts. Kind of like in World War Z, right? They were very, very, very fast in that movie. They were fast in the Dawn of the Dead remake that Zack Snyder did in the early 2000s. Yep. They were fast that. I was watching, um, I thought of you on Saturday. I was channel surfing and I came across the original Night of the Living Dead, the black and white you know, and I watched it for like five minutes, not even, maybe less. And there was a woman being chased by this zombie, this poor bastard. He's wandering around. She's she's on a farm and she's like running hard and he's going real slow. He was a, a slow zombie, yet he caught up to her. I don't know how I don't know how he did it. But the slow zombie thing, I was it was kind of laughable to look at. It was like I was laughing how how like pathetic this guy just kind of stumbled around the farmland. Not not to contradict myself, but the slow zombie thesis, I think, is very compelling. It's just a slow-moving, relentless force that nobody seems capable of stopping. And there's a lot of parallels to our modern world of things that are just coming at us constantly, and nobody just seems to be able to step up and stop. And eventually, they come and eat our brains, Right. But I personally think, given the, the friends I've made in Atlanta, you have to be a pretty fast zombie to survive. The 78 Dawn of the Dead is probably a top – got to think about this for a second. I would say that movie is probably a top 40 movie for me. Definitely not top 20. It's not top 25, but I would, I would put it in my top 40. That movie, Dawn of the Dead's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I'm I'm surprised that you put in the top 40, not top 25. Is it? You, it's not that high for you, is it? I think from a influence standpoint, it deserves to get knocked up a few notches. The genius of that movie, when these guys go to the mall and they, they trap themselves in the mall and all these zombies are outside, 
what a stroke of genius. What a great storyline. What a great concept. Like, and then they, and then obviously there's a whole materialism angle that the movie starts to get into with George Romero, very left-wing guy. He's talking about capitalism and the hold it has over us. Ugh. Even after death, we're drawn to materialism. Um, I, I've got to go watch it again to see how it uh, checks the gratuitous nudity meter. Maybe you remember, but I <laughs> uh, remember a lot of nudity in Dawn of the Dead, but definitely a lot of ghoulish <laughs> violence. Um, great. The blood doesn't even look like the right color. There's a little bit of like pink purple going on with the, with the blood in that movie, which makes it even better because it just doesn't look right. And it's, it's great. Everything about it. I do remember the makeup in that movie. I remember thinking like, <laughs> they could have done better. <laughs> uh, you need to watch Dawn of the Dead again. And if we can make it work and we get our calendars out and we could, we could squeeze that in before the end of the year, I wouldn't mind uh, revisiting Romero. Maybe we do that around Halloween, something like that. I don't know. Think about it. Rob, this was a ton of fun. I, I, was, I texted my sister this morning that I, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. I was just not in a good mood today. Like I, I had a lot of meetings today. You could probably hear that in my voice. Um, my voice is shot and I just wasn't in good headspace today. And this episode, man, what a, what a way to wrap up the day. This, I was, I've been smiling this entire time. Just great. <laughs> great. How did you enjoy your first episode? Dennis, I, I, I insist on being invited back. I insist upon it. I was so excited. I hope I did it justice because this is a fantastic podcast and uh, I wanted to make sure I did it, did it proud. Took me two and a half years to have you on and you, you were certainly reminding me of that every, every <laughs> chance you could. <laughs> well, when we get off, I'm going to be in bed. I'm going to start sending you a list of movies that I want to cover you can pick and choose. Awesome. This was a lot of fun. Meanwhile, tonight, when I after I walk the dogs, I'm going to go out, go online, and I'm going to look up the Stoudemire Ford t-shirt. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I had to work in one more mention of it. So, um, Rob, it was a blast to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I can't wait for people to listen to this episode. I think they're going to be laughing just about as much as you and I were as we were recording this. This was a blast. Thanks, Dennis. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>